When you went to bed last night, you were in a state of worship. Did you know that? When you woke up this morning, you were in a state of worship. Did you know that you were created to worship? You and I both, we were created to worship. And there's not a moment in our day, there's not a second, not a minute, not an hour that you and I are not worshiping. Did you know that? We are always worshiping. Why? Because the Creator created us to worship. The Creator created us to worship Him. And so I'm going to tell you something. If you came in this morning and you thought, well, um, that song just doesn't do it for me, or that song didn't just do it for me, I'm going to just tell you something. You need to open your heart up to God. Because God can work through any song at any time for you to see Him and worship Him. And I thank God. Brother Andy, you had the full arsenal this morning. Woo, man. You had your people here, and they were pouring it out. And I'm going to just tell you, uh, the words of those songs, I, I don't know, like Brother Andy, you know, sometimes we get to communicate, and sometimes we get to see, and, and he obviously knows that I'm in the book of Mark, and I'm talking about the life and the ministry, the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but sometimes, you know, God gives him songs, and he puts those songs in, and I don't go ask him, hey, what songs are you singing, or hey, could you do this one or that one? I'm just going to tell you something. The words of the songs today, they really preach the message of Mark chapter 2. Every song, every word, they preach the message that we're going to see in Mark chapter 2. I'm fired up about this message. As a matter of fact, I've been sweating the whole time I was sitting down there. And these lights up here make it even worse. But uh, last week we finished up Mark chapter 1. And if you'll remember, in Mark chapter 1, I asked you an important question. And that question was this, what does kingdom ministry look like for Jesus. Well, what does kingdom ministry look like for Jesus? And I, I answered the question with the scripture found in Mark chapter 1. Listen, here's what kingdom ministry looks like for Jesus. Here's what kingdom ministry is for Jesus. You're going to see it. You, you saw it last week. You're going to see it this week. You're going to see it every week as we preach the word from the book of Mark. Here's what kingdom ministry is for Jesus. It's praying, it's preaching, and it's healing. At the tail end of Mark chapter 1, what did we see Jesus doing? He went to a place where he could pray to and with his Father. And then the disciples came along and said, man, you got a bunch of people waiting on you. And Jesus said, well, let's go somewhere else because I came to preach. They had an idea of what kingdom ministry should look like. And Jesus said, I'm the one who will show you what kingdom ministry looks like. He said, so let's go somewhere else. And the Bible says he preached the word. We also see that Jesus healed. Healing is a part of kingdom ministry. And so today, I want to ask you another question because today we're going to look at another aspect of kingdom ministry and we're going to look at it from the eyes of Jesus. All right? We're going to look at it from the eyes of Jesus. I want to ask you this question. What does true faith in Jesus Christ look like and what are the results? Of true faith. I want you to think about that question. What does true faith in Jesus Christ look like? And what are the results of true faith in Jesus? I heard a joke one time, and I'm sure some of you have heard this joke before, but for those of you who haven't, I'm going to share it with you. I heard a joke about faith, and there was this guy named Jack, and if you're Jack in here, I apologize ahead of time. I didn't pick on you on purpose. But there was this guy named Jack, and he was walking along the edge of a very high cliff. And he slipped, and he started to fall, and he tried to catch himself, but he couldn't, so he was falling down this very high cliff. But right there, on his way down, there was a branch, and he reached out, and he grabbed that branch, and 
That, that branch was growing in that cliff, and he said, this branch is for me. And he hung on to that branch. He looked down below him, and he realized it was thousands of feet below. He knew if he let go of that branch or if that branch gave way, he was going to die. But he also knew that he couldn't climb back up because he had fallen too far. So he cried out, help, help. Is there anyone up there who can help me? He didn't hear anything. He did it again. Help, help. Is there anyone up there who can help me? And finally he heard a voice. Jack. Jack, is that you? Yes, it is. It's me. I can hear you. I'm down here. I'm holding on to a branch. The voice responded, I I I hear you. And I I can see you, Jack. And so Jack quickly asked, well, who are you? Where are you? And the voice responded, I am the Lord. And, and I am everywhere. And I'm here with you. And Jack said to the Lord, Lord, if you will get me out of this alive, if you will keep me from falling thousands of feet to the ground and dying, I promise I will stop sinning. I promise I'll be a good person. Lord, I promise that I will give you the rest of my life and the best of my life. And the Lord responded, Jack, you're making a lot of promises. Let's let's just take it easy on the promises. First of all, let's get you off that branch and let's get you back on solid ground. So here's what I want you to do, Jack. And Jack said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And the Lord responded, let go of the branch. There was a moment of silence. And there was another moment of silence. And Jack said, wait, what? And the Lord said, you have to trust me, Jack. Let go of the branch. There was another awkward moment of silence. And finally, Jack yelled out, is there anybody else up there who can help me? What does true faith, what does true faith in Jesus Christ look like? I didn't ask you what your faith, in Jesus Christ look like? I didn't even ask you what does my faith in Jesus Christ look like. The question I ask you is, what does true faith, true faith in Jesus Christ look like? I I read this this joke and I'm going to be honest, I laughed, but I also realized that more times than not, I practiced that faith or so-called faith that Jack practiced. I talk a big talk but I don't walk the walk. I want to show you what true faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Not only that, I want to show you the result of a true faith. A true faith in Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And don't miss this. Look at what he was doing. He preached the word to them. What did Jesus say he came to do? He came to preach. It says he preached the word to them. Number Verse 3, it says some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus 
by digging through it, and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Don't miss that. Please don't miss that. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is an awesome passage of Scripture, and we've got a little more to dig into, but I'm going to tell you, I said this earlier, I, I believe I could probably preach a series of messages just on these first five verses. I, I believe I could just preach four, five, six messages and, and not get the full extent of what those five verses have in them. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see true faith. What does true faith in Jesus Christ look like? Here we go. The friends, what did they do? They exercised their faith. That's what the friends did. They exercised their faith. You say, Brother Jeff, what do you mean they exercised their faith? Well, they didn't just talk about it. They actually did it, right? Because Jesus, it says he saw what? He saw their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word saw, I immediately think of what? The eyes. That means, look, he didn't just hear their faith. It said he saw their faith. Listen, these were friends who were exercising their faith. They were living their faith out loud. They demonstrated it. It was on full display. Jesus Christ saw it. And I believe everybody in that room, everybody in that house saw it. They exercised their faith. Now let me just tell you. I asked you the question, what does true faith look like? Here we go, number one. Their faith was persistent. True faith in Jesus Christ is a persistent faith. Mark tells us that they gathered in large numbers to hear Jesus and to see Jesus. It was crowded inside the house. It was even crowded outside the house. They they were everywhere. But but as we can see, the crowds were not going to stop these men from getting to Jesus. It didn't even matter that they had to climb a steep staircase while carrying a man on a stretcher. Look, how many of you have a hard time just getting up a staircase with, with your own weight, right? Yeah, probably a lot of us. We, go, oh, we make all these noises. Oh, ah. We make all these noises and our body tells us we're having a hard time. These four guys were carrying another man on a mat trying to keep him parallel <laughs> and not dump him off. Listen, the people didn't stop them. The stairs didn't stop them. Not only that, they got up onto a roof of a house. Now, according to theologians, according to architects who know the structures, this would have been first a roof made of very large tree limbs, even tree trunks. They would have been layered on top of each other. Not only that, most of these roofs, right, on top of these houses, they were a foot thick in thatch. Now, thatch is basically mud and, and other things. So you got these tree limbs, right, stacked on top of each other. Then you got this thatch that's at least a foot high stacked on top of that. So I don't know if you read this or not, but when you read that, it wasn't like those guys just cut a hole with a, you know, with a skill saw in five minutes and got the man down where he was going. No, they had to dig and cut and dig and cut And and listen, we're not talking about a peephole here where they can just put their ear and listen or or put their eye on it and look. We're talking about a hole big enough to put a man on a stretcher down. You tell me these guys didn't have a persistent faith. They had a persistent faith. There was nothing, nothing 
that was going, that was going to keep them from getting this man to Jesus. That's what true faith looks like. It's persistent. Not only that, their faith was passionate. Passionate. Another aspect of their faith is just how passionate it was. Listen, when we're passionate about something, what do we do? We pay for it. Right? You go in Brother Andy's office, and you're going to see guitars. Right? Uh, You go to his house. He's got a room with guitars in it. You know what, Brother Andy is passionate about music, passionate about guitars. And you want to know something? He sacrifices for them. He buys them. Those things aren't cheap. Ask Brother Mike about his fiddles and his violins. He said, no, that's enough, Brother Jeff, that's enough. Ask Brother Mike about those fiddles, those violins, whatever he calls it. I always get it wrong, so I'm just going to say both and say I got it right. But, but ask him how much they are. Listen to me, some of you, you like to go on vacations. You like to take trips, right? You like to, the Calgon experience. Calgon, take me away. If you're old enough to laugh at it, then you're old enough to remember that commercial. But don't you pay for it? You do. You sacrifice for it. Listen, when you're passionate about something, you sacrifice. You pay. These men were so passionate in their faith in Jesus and what He could do that they were willing to destroy someone else's property to get their friend to Jesus. Now, most theologians agree, and they will tell you, when it says He came back home, it means He came back to the home He was in before. Do you remember whose home He went to before? It was the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. And so these four men not only climbed onto a roof, they climbed onto a roof that didn't belong to them, and they didn't ask for permission, can we dig a hole in your roof? They just started digging. You know what they took upon themselves? They took upon themselves the responsibility of paying for that roof when they got done. That's passion. But I'm going to tell you something, and I love this. I I love Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans says, don't miss this too. Uh, These men weren't just going to a place, they were going to a person. They weren't just going to a place, they were going to a person. They weren't just going to a building to worship. They were going to a person to worship. Their faith, listen to me, their faith was persistent. Their faith was passionate. But not only that, their faith was public. Public. I said this earlier, but their faith was on full display. They were not hiding what they were doing, and they were not hiding who they were looking for. What they were doing was they were trying to get their friend, this man, paralyzed on a mat to Jesus. They were not ashamed of what they were doing and they certainly were not ashamed of who they were going to. These were public Christ followers. They were not overly concerned about what anybody else thought of them. They were not even concerned what the homeowner thought of them when when they were digging through that roof. They were only concerned with Jesus. They were only concerned with getting their friend to Jesus, no matter the crowd, no matter the place, no matter the cost. I'm going to tell you something. True faith in Jesus Christ is a faith you can see. It's a faith you can see. It's not a closet faith. It's a public faith. It's a passionate faith. You have to sacrifice. It costs you. And it is persistent. Nothing and no one will get between you and and your Lord. This is awesome. Now, I told you what true faith looks like. I've shown you what true faith looks like. And listen, I'm telling you this from the eyes of Jesus because Jesus is watching this whole thing. Let me ask you a question. All right, so Jesus, he was a rabbi. He he was a teacher. 
Uh, many of them call him teacher, teacher. You want to know why? Because he had a message to proclaim. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus was in this house, right? People were everywhere. And he's preaching. And all of a sudden, a little dust starts to fall out of the ceiling. Right? You, you know where they were digging, right? They weren't digging in the other room. They weren't even digging 20 feet that way. They were digging right on top of where Jesus was preaching. What, what was Jesus doing when all this stuff was falling? <laughs> right? And I'm not talking about five minutes of falling. I'm talking about probably hours. Because most theologians will tell you that this took hours for them to cut a hole big enough to drop a man on a mat down. So what do you think, Jesus, what do you think all these people were doing for about two hours? I'm going to tell you what I think they were doing. I think they were looking up. I think they were looking up like, what in the world is going on? Of course, I think Jesus knew what was going on. So what is the result? What is the result of true faith that you can see? True faith that is persistent. True faith that is passionate. True faith that is public. Well, I'll tell you, Jesus moves. Jesus moves. It says he saw their faith. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus exercised his authority to heal. He exercised his authority to heal. Now, of course, we see the miracle that Jesus performed on the paralytic. Paralytic. That's what we see. We see a guy who, whose legs don't work, who's laying down on the mat. We see Jesus, you know, heal him. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're careful, if you're not careful, you'll miss the message by looking at the miracle. Did you hear me? If you're not careful, you will miss the message because you're so busy looking at the miracle. Don't miss this. Verse 2 tells us why Jesus was there in the first place. Look at it again. What does verse 2 say Jesus was there to do? It says he preached the word to them. What Jesus came to do that day in that house was preach a message to them. A message that anyone and everyone in that room needed. Don't miss it. He came to preach the word. We could get so caught up in the miracle that we don't even pay attention to the message. And it's the message that we need most. As we see in this passage, the miracle performed by Jesus flowed from his word. Do you see that? The miracle performed by Jesus flowed from his word, his spoken word. So what did he do? He preached the word. That's what the Bible says. When a rabbi spoke in this day, it means he had an important word, an important message to share with anyone who heard his voice. I believe Jesus considered his audience. I I thought about his audience that day. Now don't forget, Mark was writing to which audience? Do you remember which audience Mark was writing to? He was writing to the Roman audience, okay? The Gentile audience. When you, look at, when you look at Matthew, who was Matthew writing to? Because Matthew writes this story too. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. When you look at Luke, who was Luke writing to? Most theologians believe that Luke was writing to whoever would listen. Gentile, Jew, it didn't matter. Well, when you look at John, John was preaching to the Christians in Asia, And so they all had audience they were preaching to. But I'm going to tell you something. All of them have something in common. Mark 1.15 tells us that the message of Jesus is this. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. Do you know that every gospel writer uses the same words when it comes to the message that Jesus was preaching? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Do you want to know know what the message of Jesus Christ was all about? You just sang about it. You just sang about it in every song. Forgiveness. Repentance of sin. Faith, trust, belief in God, in Jesus Christ. And what does that bring? It brings forgiveness. It brings freedom. That's the message that Jesus Christ was preaching. He was preaching a message of forgiveness. He was preaching a message of freedom from sin. And so Jesus preached the word. And and what flowed from the word? Healing. So what did he do? I'm going to tell you what he did. And don't miss this order. I hadn't even read verses 6 through 12 yet, okay? We're going to get there. I've only read 1 through 5. What did Jesus say to the man? Verse 5. I'm not going to say it. I'm waiting for you. He said, your sins are forgiven. He said, son, right? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus said. So how did, he heal, how did Jesus heal first? I'm going to tell you what he healed. He healed spiritually. Everybody in that room, even the friends carrying this man, what did they see? Tell me what they saw. They saw a paralyzed man. They saw a paralytic. You know what that means? That means his legs don't work. So what did they see? They saw what was physical. Am I right? What did Jesus see? Jesus, he didn't look at his legs. (laughs) He didn't look at what everybody else in the room was looking at. Do you know what Jesus looked at? He looked at his heart. He looked inside this man. And so the first words that Jesus said is, your sins are forgiven, son. I don't know about you, but that's a good word. Maybe that's, maybe that's what everybody saw, the physical condition. But Jesus, he saw, he saw the spiritual condition. And so Jesus, first and foremost, healed him spiritually. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus also healed him physically. Because as we will see, the paralytic is going to get up. The, the paralytic is going to take his mat with him and he's going to walk out in front of everybody. He was dropped down as a paralytic. Let me just tell you something. He was dropped down as a sinner full of sin. But he walked out physically able, but most importantly, spiritually clean. See, you can look at the miracle and miss the message. You can look at the miracle and miss the message. How many times have we read that? And all we thought about was this man whose legs started working again. Can you imagine what the man must have been thinking? So think about the man on the mat. He's probably telling his guys, we ain't getting through that crowd. And the guys say, oh yeah, we're going to get you to Jesus. And he's probably saying, guys, it's just not, it's not, it's not our day. It's not our time, right? I'm just trying to think maybe what he was thinking. They start climbing some steps. And he's like, guys, please don't drop me, okay? I hurt enough already. My legs don't work. Please don't break my arms. Please. I'm just trying to think like he might be thinking. Hey, guys, you're a little off balance, okay? Uh, hey, you're getting pretty high. Start thinking like maybe this guy. They get up on the roof. Okay, did y'all bring your saw with you? Did anybody bring a shovel? I probably, you probably didn't because you had your hands on the mat you were carrying, right? He's probably thinking, y'all are crazy. Y'all are crazy. What are you doing? And then they start digging. He's like, guys, this ain't your house. How, how are we going to pay for this? And then he gets down to Jesus and the first words he hears is, Son, your sins are forgiven.
here's what I thought. But what about my legs, Jesus? What, what about my legs, right? Because <laughs> everything my friends did, and, and, and God, I just want to walk again. Maybe I want to walk for the first time. What about my legs? Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you think about it from that perspective? Well, what does true faith in Jesus Christ look like? What are the results of a true faith in Jesus Christ? If we're not careful, we all think physical. Oh, God, heal me of this sickness. Oh, God, heal me of this disease. Oh, God, help me out of this situation. God, if I let go of this branch, I'm going to die. What does true faith in Jesus look like? I'm going to tell you something. It's spiritual before it's ever physical. It's spiritual before it is ever physical. I love what Pastor R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary. He says, regardless of this man's physical condition, his greatest condition was by far sin. He needed forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness was far greater in his life. It cost more than he could pay, so he went to the one who would ultimately pay it. (laughs) I mean, think about that for just a minute, right? Jesus has not shed his blood yet. But don't miss this. Jesus knew that he was going to shed his blood. It was God's plan and God's time, and Jesus was on it, and he was on board with it. And so before he ever sheds his blood... He says, your sins are forgiven. You know what Paul says in his letters to the churches? He says, there is no forgiveness without what? The shedding of blood. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying, and he knew exactly who he was saying it to. He knew the need greater than the man knew the need. So don't get caught up in the miracle and miss the message. Jesus preached the word. There's another another, uh, pastor that we like to listen to. I know Brother Andy and... Uh, Brother Jeremy and I, we listen to this, and some of you probably listen to it. It's a, it's a podcast called the Bama Podcast, and Pastor Marty Solomon, um, I love what he said in episode 102 of his podcast. He was talking about this story. Listen to what Pastor Marty Solomon said. He said, when you look at the paralytic, you can also see that the paralytic is actually a prop. He is actually a tool in Jesus' teaching. <laughs> so think about that for just a minute. This paralyzed man, right, his friends find out that Jesus is back home. What I believe and what Pastor Marty Solomon believes, what I believe is Jesus knew that man was coming. And Jesus already knew the message he was going to preach. He was going to be preaching about repentance of sin, trusting in him and forgiveness of sin and freedom from the penalty and the bondage of sin. And Jesus was like, them boys are coming. And I'm fixing to use their faith. I'm fixing to use what they're doing. I'm fixing to use this man. To show everyone in the room what true faith is all about. I'm going to show them what the result of true faith is. I love that. Pastor Marty Solomon said the man, the paralytic man, is just a prop. He's just a tool in the story. It doesn't lessen the fact that he is a human being that Jesus is compassionate about and loves because he obviously loves him and is compassionate because he heals him. So, so let's, give, let's see what gives Pastor Marty Solomon the idea by looking at verses 6 through 12. You ready? Are you ready? Okay, I just make sure I hadn't put you to sleep yet. You know what true faith looks like? What does true faith look like? It, it being obedient, right? Being passionate, right? Be, being persistent. And it's wide open, it's public. Watch this. Everybody could see it, right? 
Jesus saw it because Jesus said I saw, I, he saw their faith in him. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. But let, let me show you something. Everybody else saw it too. And watch how they respond. Verse 6. Now, some of the teachers of the law, that ought, to just, that ought to blow your mind right there, right? What are they doing there? You know what they're doing there. I do too. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Look at verse 10. Please don't miss verse 10. Jesus came to preach a message, right? We've already established that. Look at verse 10. Why is Jesus saying what he says? Why is he doing what he does? Verse 10, but I want you to know. Do you see that? I want you to know that the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man, by the way? He is. (laughs) I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Does he want them to focus on the miracle of the legs working again? Is that what he wants? No. What does he want them to focus on? The heart condition and that he has the authority to heal the heart. That's what he wants. I'm going to read it again in case you didn't hear me because I probably wasn't loud enough. Verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. You're going to see that word amaze all the time. Remember Mark's writing to an, a Roman audience. You know what they liked? They liked to be entertained. Right? They liked to be what? <sighs> amazed. This amazed everyone. But look at the result. They praised God, saying we have never seen anything like this. Here's what I see in this passage of Scripture. So, we, we know what Jesus' life is all about. We know what his work is. We, we know what is a priority to Jesus. The priority is, I want you to know. I'm going to preach the message, the good news I'm going to preach to you the gospel. I I am the gospel, but let me tell you what the gospel is. It's repentance of sin. It's belief in me. It's belief in the love that God has for you, that he would send me to live for you, to die for you, to raise up from the grave for you, so that your sins could be forgiven. The message of Jesus Christ is all about the forgiveness of sin, the freedom from the penalty and the bondage of sin. That's what the message is all about. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to know. I I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I've done it my way. I said, son, your sins are forgiven, but I'm going to show you something. I can do it your way too, and it's still going to be the same thing. So he said, son, I'll tell you what. Get up off your mat and go home. Because here's the truth. He was already healed before Jesus said those words. So we see a response, don't we? 
Alright? First of all, we see the response of the teachers of the law. What was their response? Number one, they questioned Jesus. They questioned Jesus. These were teachers, and they were sitting there. Now, let's think about this. Mark says they were sitting there. Do you know where they were sitting, by the way? Where did the, where did the teachers of the law like to sit? In the places of honor. Right? Isn't that where they like to sit? They, they wanted people to know that they were the teachers of the law. They, they, they wore their tassels, right? They wore their clothes. And when they sat, they sat in the places of honor because they wanted you to know who they were and what they had. So they were sitting close. I believe both Jews and Gentiles were in that room, though. I believe there were Jews in that room. I believe there were Gentiles in that room. We certainly see that there were uh, Pharisees in that room. And, and I believe what we see in this scene is three different Gospels, right? Three different Gospels. We see a Gospel for people who were ready, ready for the good news. They were ready for the message. I believe we also see a Gospel of curiosity. They were just curious. They, they had heard the stories, but they had not seen with their eyes. They had heard stories, second-hand reports, but now they wanted to see with their own eyes. They wanted to hear with their own ears. So we, so we got a gospel of people who were ready. Jesus, come home. Oh, this is the Jesus we heard preaching in the synagogue. He's back. I'm going to listen to him again. I'm ready for the message he's got. Then you got these people who were curious, but don't miss this. We also got some people there. It's called the gospel of protection. I want to protect who I am and protect what I got. Guess who that is? Pharisees. <laughs> teachers of the law everyone there though guess what they had the same opportunity see I can I can separate them into those three groups but I'm going to tell you something Jesus didn't separate them he was preaching to everybody in that room the same message you want to know why because everybody in that room needed the same message that he had everybody in that room needed the same healing that he offered Everyone in that room had the same opportunity to humble themselves, to ready themselves, to prepare themselves, to believe, right? To believe not just the message, but to believe in the messenger. Everybody in the room had the same opportunity, yet when we look at the teachers of the law, they are described as ones who question Jesus. They question Jesus. They question who he is. They question what he's doing. As a matter of fact, not only did they question Jesus, they labeled him. What word did they use that stands out? Oh, blasphemer. That's what they said. He's a blasphemer. In other words, he's not God. He's not from God. He's against God. That's what they were thinking in their minds. You want to know why they were thinking that in their minds? Because that's what was in their hearts. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah, they were thinking in their minds, but... What was in their mind was flowing from their heart. See, here's what I believe. They believe I believe they labeled Jesus as a blasphemer instead of responding to Jesus' message uh, and, and miracle too with a growing love and a growing faith. They responded with questions and labels. You want to know why? Because all they were concerned about was power and control. They wanted power and they wanted control. They wanted everybody in that room to honor them, to look to them, to respect them, to bow down to them. And so that's why they questioned Jesus. That's why they labeled Jesus. They don't want to give it up, do they? Let me ask you a question. Do you have, do you have a problem with power? Do you have a problem with control? Don't answer that too fast. I think we all do. I think we all want to, to experience power in our lives and to have power. I, I think we like control too, don't we? 
Do you, do you like control of things? Like in your house? Like, like when you're in the kitchen cooking? Don't you like the oven to do what you want it to do? So you set the temperature at the temperature you want it, right? Marty was making them blueberry muffins this morning. It's her famous blueberry muffins. To be honest with you, she'll tell you. It's just a box called, uh, what's it called? Yeah, Betty Crocker. But I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe I'm a little biased. Her muffins are good. And, and so when Marty's in there cooking the muffins, she sets a timer. She sets a timer because that's, that's when she wants them taken out. But do you know what I do? I'm hoping Marty's back here drying her hair and she doesn't listen because I go in there and take them out just a little bit before that timer goes off because I don't like them quite as dark as maybe she or her Sunday school class does. I like them just a tad bit lighter. And so I take them out when I want them taken out, right? T- tell me you don't like control. How many of you got kids or had kids? They're still kids even if they're 45 or 50, right? I'm still my mama's son, and she's still got a little power and control on me, <laughs> especially when she says I got a bag of chocolate chip cookies, if. Anyway, so, 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 so you like control, don't you? You like power. Listen to me. That, 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 is an, that is an earthly nature. That is a human nature. And if we're not careful, it will become the gospel that we sell out to. We want power in the house. We want power at the job. We want power in the church. It's my class. It's my church. Well, that's my tithe. That's my... You see what happens? It's about power and control. We don't like to give it up. We don't like to give it up. So there were people there that were, they were ready, people that were curious, and there were people that were protecting. You see the response of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law? In, instead of growing in love and growing in faith and praising God, what were they doing? They were questioning Jesus, and they labeled him. But look at the others, right? Look at the response of the other people. What does it say? Three words. They praised God. They praised God. Again, Mark, he's considering his Roman audience, and he says these people were amazed. Yes, they were amazed by what they saw. They even said, we've never seen anything like this. But, but if, you look at the, if, you, if you look at the amazement, and then you look at, we've never seen anything like this, you might miss the, the best stuff which is in the middle. It says they praised God. Don't miss that. They praised God. I, I love this because Matthew... In chapter 9, he doesn't say they were amazed. You know what he says? Because he's thinking about the Jewish audience. You know what Matthew says about this passage? He doesn't say the people were amazed. You know what he says? He said they were filled with awe. That's a different word, right? So Mark is thinking about his Roman people, right? The Gentiles, the ones who were sitting around curious about what was going on. Matthew is thinking about the Jewish people who are sitting there going, okay, they know who Jesus is. He said they were filled with awe. In other words, reverence, respect. Right? It's, 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 it's just, it's amazing. But you know, what, you know what Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say? They all say the same three words. Everyone there, they praised God. Two responses. Response of the teacher to the message and the miracle was a question and a label. The response of the other people there 
It wasn't questions. And it wasn't labels. It was praise. It was praise. So the question that I have for myself today, it it really goes back to the question I asked you at the very beginning. Do I have true faith? And now I want to tack on to that. Do I have true faith that is persistent? Do I have true faith that is passionate? Do I have true faith that is public? Do I have faith? Like does Brother Jeff, right? Does the pastor of your church, not just that, does the husband of Marty, does Jeff, does does daddy to those children, does he have true faith? Like, Like, can they see it? Can you see it? Is it faith that is persistent? Like nothing is going to stop him from getting to Jesus? Does he have true faith? Faith that is passionate? Is he willing to sacrifice to get to Jesus? And is it public? What does Paul say? I am not what? Ashamed. Isn't that what he says? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does that mean? That means he don't care who you are, what degree you have, what you believe in, he's going to talk about Jesus. It don't even matter what title he's got or what he don't title he don't have. He's going to talk about Jesus. Public. Passionate. Persistent. Do I have true faith? Like these four men had. Because what does what does Mark say about Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, Matthew says it and Luke says it. When Jesus saw their faith, listen to me. He looked at the man and saw what the man needed, and it wasn't just some new legs. It was a clean heart. But did he see the faith of the man on the mat? That's not what the Bible says. What did he see? He saw their faith. In other words, the four friends who dug the hole and dropped the man in front of Jesus. He saw their faith. Do you have that kind of faith? Right? Do I have that kind of faith? Not faith that just helps me. Not, not faith that just heals me. Not faith that just grows me. But faith that makes a difference in someone else's life. That's true faith. See, if we're not careful, we, we think about faith and what it does to me and what it does for me and what it does through me. But what does my faith do for the person standing next to me in line at Chick-fil-A? What does my faith do for the waitress at the restaurant who brings out the wrong order? (laughs) Never mind, I'm going to wait and use that message later. I'm going to use that message later. So here's the question. After that question, when I see the results of true faith in the Lord, when I get to see, so now now I'm not thinking about those four friends, and am I one of those guys? Now Now I'm one of the audience members, right? Now I'm one of the ones sitting in the room watching what Jesus has done to someone else. So when I see the results of true faith in the Lord, am I found questioning Him or am I found praising Him? Let me ask you a question. I want to be careful how I ask this because I, I I'm not casting stones. What, what, what if the community drunk what, what if the community prostitute walked in the room right now and sat down beside you on that pew you're sitting on? Would the wheels of your mind start running? 
turn. Let me just tell you, whatever the wheels of your mind are doing, guess where that flows from? Your heart. So the community drunk walks in, the community prostitute walks in, sits down on the pew right beside you. Praise band sings their songs, preacher preaches the message, community drunk, community prostitute, and let's just call them what they are. The, the community center comes down and says, I repent of my sin. I put my faith and trust in the man who lived for me and died for me and rose from the grave for me. I don't want this life anymore. I want the life he has for me. What are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, let's just wait and see? Because I'm going to tell you, that's what a lot of people do. Well, let's just wait and see if it's real. You know what that is? That's questioning Jesus. It ain't questioning the, the sinner. That's questioning the one who has the sinner in his hands. You going to be a questioner? You going to be a labeler? Or are you going to be a praiser? I don't know about you, but you know what our church needs a whole lot more of? Praisers. That's what we need. We need a whole lot more praisers who can get past the sinner and see what Jesus can do, will do, and has done. Because I'm going to tell you something. He did it to me. And he did it for me. And he's still doing it to me and for me. I am the chief of all sinners. And I'm going to keep saying that to myself so that when I do see a sinner, <laughs> I remember I'm worse. That way my mind don't start thinking, well, we'll see. Or you don't belong here. Or you got to do this first. No, all you got to do is get to Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus will heal the heart. And then he'll take care of all that physical stuff. Right? Am I a questioner, a labeler, or am I a praiser? We know what true faith looks like. I'm going to say it again just in case you hadn't heard me already. True faith is persistent, passionate, and public. And we know what the results of true faith is. You know what the result of true faith is? Healing and praise for God. Man, I feel like I need to preach this passage again three or four more times. Because I think I left something out. Pretty sure I did. But here's what I want you to know. This message today was for every one of us sitting in the room. Whether you're a teacher in Sunday school, a deacon, a pastor, a lay member, we all got one thing in common. It's called a condition of the heart, full of sin. And there's only one person who has shed the blood that can clean that heart. His name is Jesus.